we haven't met, my name is AJ. I get to serve here as the associate pastor, and I'm up here normally leading worship. But on special days like today, I get to come and teach, so I'm really excited about that. If you're new here, welcome. If you're new watching online, welcome. We're really glad that you're here today. Last week, if you were here, you know that we kicked off a brand new series called Come Together. Pastor Chad talked about this idea of unity in the midst of diversity. And I, for one, think that last week's message is one of those that it's really hard to hear for some of us. It could probably stretch you and your faith. And today, I have to say this, that this message, my hope is that it will stretch us as well. So I'm not talking about unity in the midst of diversity. I want to talk about unity in the midst of uncertainty today. Has anybody ever felt uncertain about things before? You know, that feeling of just, I don't know what's going to happen. That's what we're going to kind of get into today. And so when I, talk about, when I think about the word uncertainty, and I was planning this and thinking about, okay, what can I kind of tie together with this? The, the song came to mind immediately that we all have sang as kids is this. He has the whole what in his hands? The whole world in his hands. He has the whole world in his hands. I think about that song that we sing as kids, and our kids probably sing that at some point in the kids' ministry. It's one of those kids' songs you can just keep adding words to. Like, he's got the whole world. The next line is, he's got the little baby. He's got you and me, brother, you and me, sister. He has the whole world in his hands. And I think about that song and how profound the faith is in that song. Like To really believe that is profound faith, that he has the whole world in his hands. That Just as we sing this morning, he holds it all together. I love that song and what it says. And I know that when we say and we sing these songs, he has the whole world in his hands and he holds all things together. It's one of those things that it's really easy And I'm sure most of us, if not all of us in the room, believe and would check that box that, yes, I believe that. I believe it. I know it to be true. However, there are those times in our life that happen to, they just seem to come up where things don't seem to line up anymore. And they don't seem so certain anymore. And see, uncertainty is something that we face in our lives. And there's no way, there's no one in this room, no one watching right now that can get away from uncertainty. You just can't. No one has the ability to opt out on uncertainty or uncertain times. However, we do have the opportunity to change our response to it. So nobody has the opportunity to opt out of it, but we have the ability to change our response to it. And I would say this, uncertainty can cause great moments of fear and insecurity at times. And in other times, it can cause great moments of faith. And my prayer today is that this message would inspire great moments of faith in us as a church body, that we would, after this and in this next season moving forward, that we would see moments of faith happen here, not fear and insecurity. And what we're going to look at is a story in the scripture today. If you will, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in verses uh, 13 this morning, starting out. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. As you're you're turning in your Bibles, I just have two questions I want you to think about as we think about the word uncertainty and uncertain times. First question is this, how do you respond or how do I respond in moments of uncertainty? I think that's a valid question for us to ask. Kind of get down to the nitty-gritty of it. How do we respond when things don't feel certain anymore? And then second is this, how should the church respond? So how do you respond and how should the church respond? Since we're talking about unity and coming together, I want us to think about not just you as an individual, but us as a church body. How should we respond in times that are uncertain? And see, the the beautiful thing about this book that I'm holding, the Bible, is that Christians everywhere subscribe to this. They say, yes, I believe in it. And I think there's something we've gotten gravely, we've just, we have something really mistaken with how we read this. We read this like a history book many times. And in some sense, that's what it is. It's a history book. 
But I think if we let Scripture speak for itself and actually realize that it's not just a history book, but it's our story, this thing comes to life. And so that's my hope this morning, that the story we're going to read in Luke chapter 24 would come to life, and that when you and I read this this morning, we see this is not just a story of two men on the road to Emmaus. This is my story, and it's your story. So we're going to read this, Luke chapter 24, just a little bit of context before we read it. This is happening on Resurrection Day, okay? The men in the story don't have the story like you and I have. Let's remember that while we're reading this. They don't have the story like you and I have. So let's put ourselves in their shoes while we read this together. Starting in verse 13, we're going to read a little bit of scripture this morning, so just be patient and let's just read along together. So starting in verse 13 says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? As they stood still, or they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus says, what things? And they say to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's been three days since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, and him they did not see. Let's stop right there. We're going to kind of break this text down as we move through it, but just a little overview. Remember, this is Resurrection Day. This is the day that Jesus, many stories in the Gospels, Jesus, after his resurrection, he appears to people and he talks to them and he shows them, hey, I'm alive, I'm real, I am who I said I was. And what's happening in this story is there are two men on the road to Emmaus. Now, Emmaus is, like Scripture says, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Why were they in Jerusalem? Because that's where Jesus was crucified. So they, they were at this thing that happened. They were disciples of Jesus, they were at the crucifixion, and now they're like, man, everything we thought to be true doesn't feel true anymore. What do we do? Let's go for a walk. Let's go to Emmaus. We don't know why they were going to Emmaus, but let's just think about this like from a humanity standpoint. What do you do when things just don't seem to add up anymore? Sometimes you just need to take a walk, right? You just need to take a walk and talk. So you've got Cleopas and his friend who's not named but they're, they're talking, they're walking, they're, they're having this conversation back and forth. And Jesus comes and he draws near to them. And he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? So to give you a little, little just inside of what happens here on Sunday mornings, I get here with my family pretty early. And the person that's always here before me is Shane Preston. Shane Preston is here. I don't know what time you get here, but it's very early. I know that. And normally how our Sunday morning conversations goes is I roll in here and we're kind of getting things turned on for rehearsal. And this is how the conversation goes. Did you watch the game yesterday? Every Sunday, it never fails. Did you watch the game yesterday? We're not talking about just any game here, people. We're talking about did you watch the Georgia game yesterday? Now, for those of you that are Georgia fans or you know anything about college football, you know this year has been a good year for Georgia fans. It's been a good year for Georgia sports. This year, I've become acquainted with sports again. So, it's like the Braves won the World Series, the Dogs have had a, a pretty great year. Um, and what we've seen is this: every week, we've said, "Did you watch the game?" 
And what we've been able to talk about is how good they've done, how great it's been. Yeah, maybe we have some disagreements on things that need to change or how they've, how they've worked and all that. But I'll tell you that the one Sunday that was different, and you guys probably know where I'm going with this because it's, it's a little hard to talk about, but we're hoping for a redemption here. The weekend that we wanted Georgia to win the SEC championship just did not turn out how we wanted it. We wanted them to beat Alabama. Everybody wants that. We can taste it, and it just did not happen. Now, we're hoping for tomorrow night at 8 o'clock for that to be a very different ending. But that, that Sunday, everybody that was in the band and on the production team that watches college football, they walk in, and I could see it on their faces. Everything we hoped for was not there. It was like we almost had it. We lost now, you have to understand this. These men in this story, they're not hoping for a football team to be crowned national championships. They're hoping for a new king. They're hoping for a new way of life to be integrated. They're hoping for the kingdom of heaven. Everything Jesus taught, that's what they're hoping for. So this, this carries so much more weight than what you and I carry most of the time. And remember, they don't have the rest of the story like we have. They don't, they don't have our perspective and our viewpoint. And so I want to help us, I want to walk us through this story with this framework today that I've, I've been studying and learning, and it was originally created by an, a, an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. You guys may have seen Chad reference his quotes before, but he has this framework that I believe could be so helpful if we really could, could wrap our minds around it and then even maybe see in our life how this has worked out and how it's fleshed out. So the first, there are three movements. The first one is this orientation. That's what he calls it. So orientation, what is that? Orientation is when everything in your relationship with God is going well. Maybe everything in your life, but everything in your relationship with God is going well, and everything in life kind of makes sense. That's orientation. This is a phase in your life. This is a moment or a movement in your life. So examples of what that looks like. When you get a job, what do we call the first week or two? We call it orientation. It's whenever you're learning things, you're learning how your job works, you're more than likely getting, hopefully, getting along with your boss, hopefully getting along with your coworkers. Maybe they've thrown you a party and said, hey, welcome to the club, we're excited you're here. That's orientation. It's like you're learning what you're supposed to do, you get along with everybody and you're doing a great job. Think about orientation and marriage. I wouldn't even think about the honeymoon phase, I don't know what we call that, that's kind of the mountaintop, but orientation would just be like, you guys are married, you guys are learning what you like to do together, who likes to cook, and what you like to cook, and what you like to do for fun, and what TV shows you like to watch, and who's going to do the laundry, and everything's just kind of chill. You're, you're moving, and you like where it's going. I think about your faith. Faith, think about orientation, is when you begin to kind of follow Jesus. You have this understanding, you know, the gospel, you've heard it, you've understood it in your mind, you've received it in your heart, and now things in life make sense. It's like there's clarity, there's vision, and you can move forward with this orientation. In November, Ashley and I, we, um, if you don't know, we're pregnant. We're expecting a third baby in May. That's important to, to talk about in the story um, because some of you may think we're crazy after I tell the story. So we're, we're expecting our third one. Our other two, we have one that's three and one that just turned one. They both turned three and one in August and then a newborn. But in November, uh, we decided we should get a puppy. We should do that. That's, that sounds really fun. And uh, we've been wanting a puppy, a specific puppy. I've really wanted this puppy for a long time, and never did I think I would have one or be able to uh, even find, like, a decent deal because they're not always cheap. And I will tell you, there was this day in November that 
she sent me this post, and I'm not really sure why she did it, because now, it's, like, we love this dog, don't get me wrong, but we weren't really looking, but it's like when you send somebody something, you know they're going to want it, and I'm just like, that's it, that's the one, we got, like, today's the day, we have to do it. So within, like, three hours, we had saw the puppy, talked to the breeder, you know, already decided where we're going to meet, when we're going to meet, picked up the dog, and boom, we have a brand new puppy named Moose. I don't have a picture to show you, but you can go to our Facebook and you can see pictures of Moose. He's adorable, and he's growing quite fast. The amazing thing about getting a puppy, though, that's kind of that orientation. It's like it's so fun in the beginning. It's like you just love everything about this puppy. It's so fun, and, and you really don't even mind it like it's a newborn, basically. So you have to take it out at night, and you have to wake up at 2 and 4 and make sure it doesn't pee in the cage or any of that. Like you have to really take care of it. You're not thinking about those things when you get the new puppy. You're thinking about, this is amazing. You know, this is so fun. See, that's where these men were before the crucifixion. You have to see that in the story. These men were there before the crucifixion. They're walking with Jesus. We know they're not part of the 11, but they're definitely part of the disciples because notice this, that he says before, hey, the women came to us. Well, who was us? That was where the disciples and the followers of Jesus were gathered together after the crucifixion. I'm not going to read that for you. You can go back and read it in the chapter. But we know they were, they were disciples and they were followers of Jesus. So you have to understand, they believed in something. They believed in Jesus' message. They believed in the things that he claimed. So I have to ask you again, what, what do you do when life seems to throw you a curveball? When everything that you thought would happen isn't happening the way you thought it would, or it's not happening at all. What do you do? And I don't necessarily mean like a flat tire on the way to work. I mean something big. And that's what Brueggemann calls this next stage. He calls it disorientation. So what is disorientation? We've got orientation, then we move into disorientation. Disorientation is when you feel like something's changing or there's a, this shift that's happening around you and you really aren't sure what's next. Anybody ever felt that way before? Like, man, life is just not, <laughs> it's just not going how I planned. This is not how we thought it would happen. Disorientation can feel like really not being able to see the beginning or the end. It kind of just feels like being stuck in the middle. And see, we don't really like that because... We kind of like to know where things are going. We like to know what's certain, what we're doing, what the plan is. But when uncertain times happen, disorientation sets in, we're kind of in the middle. A few examples for us to think about disorientation just in our culture, in our society. And we're, thinking, we're talking about this term of coming together. So this is also just the body of Christ universally. Like this is the, the larger than just this expression of church. I think about even in our world, September 11th. I was so young, I don't remember everything, but I remember being able to look around at all the adults that were around me and see something's off here. Something's wrong. This isn't normal. This isn't good. This isn't right. And you, many of you in the room would, would be able to tell me exactly where you were when that happened. And you'd be able to tell me exactly how you felt and the fear that was over you and just the fear that was in our country because things were not well anymore. It's incredibly disorienting for our country. Think about another thing that's still with us today that, that many of us thought would be kind of a flash in the pan would be COVID. Many of us now have, have be, be, we began to move on in a sense of understanding more of what, are, what it is and what it is not. But in the beginning, I remember filming uh, just on my phone in the cafe, like 
I remember being in the office whenever this was happening and, and not even really hearing the word COVID, but all of a sudden it was like one day it changed. You just began to hear it everywhere. And it was like, oh, it's not just overseas somewhere, it's here. Like this is real. And I remember it was around the time we had been planning, we would have been planning for water at the parade that year. And Chad and I began to check things online and things were starting to cancel, which felt really strange because never, <laughs> never in the history of us scheduling something have, has it changed because we didn't cancel it or we didn't change it. It was like, no, it was being taken. It was being totally, everything was shifting around us. And so we started thinking about what does services look like? What are we supposed to do? And so I remember filming a little announcement video with him of like, hey, we're not going to meet this week. It's, we'll probably meet next week but we're not going to meet this week, just to kind of be careful and see what this is. And then we all know what that was like for months of meeting in homes apart from each other. Gosh, I remember just that was a season of my life that I feel like is lost, if I can be honest with you. It just it kind of feels like a blur sometimes. And you look back and you're like, what happened? Where were we? Like, we were at homes, we were doing house church, and everything was different, and we were figuring out this new thing. And it was so strange. It was so disorienting. I can't think of a better word than disorientation because it almost didn't feel real. That's how these men feel in this story. Like everything we thought was true just isn't true anymore. What, what are we going to do? There's a couple examples of how disorientation may look or has looked in your life. Uh, would be an unexpected death of a loved one. Um, things that it just doesn't make sense. It feels way too early, or like it, it, you, you planned so much more, and yet it was taken from you. Another example would be this, a, a job loss that just was unexpected. Many of you, luckily I know a lot of our people in our church did not experience that in COVID, but there are a lot of people that, that did, and they didn't really know how to make ends meet. I mean, have you really felt that before, of, of not being sure what you're going to do, or, or even maybe this, a medical diagnosis with really no answers hey, this is what's wrong, and we don't know what to do about it. We don't know what the next step is for you. Let's be honest, it could look like a transition in your church. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What's going to happen? You know, these are real things that when we, again, when we read the Bible, we have to take this as not just a history book. It's not just an, an account of people that met with Jesus. It is real helpful information for us in disorienting times. This is real for you today. What these men are facing in the story is what you and I face more times than we like to admit. I want you to think about your faith. Many of you, I would ask you this, I would say, have you ever felt disorientation in your faith? And I'm sure many of you would say no. I've never felt that. I've, I've been just sure for what I believe in, and that God's been faithful. And for all of us in the room, whether you know it or not, he's been faithful to you. He's been good to you, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it. But some of you in the room have, have went through this disorientation in your faith to where something happens in your relationship with God and you're like, okay, it doesn't seem like I'm marked with, with joy anymore. It seems like I'm marked with anxiety now. And I don't know where God is in this season. I don't know what he's doing or if he's present or what he's going to do. I don't know if he hears my prayers anymore. Anybody ever felt that before? I have, and it's scary. Like, I have to be honest, that is not a good, if you're really in that place, that's not a good, a good place that you want to be. You don't want to be in this place of waiting for answers and miracles and signs. So again, I ask you the question of this. Just think about this. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do I respond in times of disorientation? 
And how should the church respond in times of disorientation? Like, this is real for us today. And did you know this when we talk about disorientation and, and even our faith? Did you know that God really wants you to be honest? Like, when you have those disorientation times and you're like, I just don't know about this anymore. I don't know how to feel about this anymore. Did you know that God, we know this, that God wants us to be honest people, right? Like, he desires honesty. He desires truth. He is truth. So that would mean what? That God wants us to be honest about the things that are happening outside of us, just like he wants us to be honest about the things that are happening inside of us. Many of us have a hard time talking and being honest about what's really going on inside. And I think this is something we have to work on as people, but also it's part of our formation as followers of Jesus to be able to talk about our, our griefs and our losses because those are real. And let me tell you this, God wants to do something in the midst of that grief and loss. You know, the most amazing thing about this story, it says they were walking and who drew near? Jesus drew near to them. They were in the midst of this uncertainty, and you know who was with them? Jesus was. That can preach today, people. I'm telling you, like, listen to me. Jesus is with you in the midst of your disorientation. He's with you in the midst of your uncertainty. He's with you when you don't know what's going to happen. He is present with you, and he can draw near to you. And you know what? When we face these times, we have to be honest with God. We have to say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I know you're here theologically, I understand it, I believe it, I check the box, but it doesn't seem like that. We have to be able to say, but God, I believe in you, and I know that you're with me, and I know you're with me. So we can share our feelings with God. God already knows what's in our hearts. When we share our doubts and our fears, we have this incredible invitation to invite God into that place. God, I'm hurting. I need you here. You see, God invites us to sit at the table with him, when you're a believer, he's like, hey, you've accepted me. You're invited to my table. The other part of that is in times of disorientation or uncertainty, God comes to sit with you in your brokenness. He invites you to his table, and when you're broken, when you're hurting, he comes to sit with you. It's like a parent who's disciplining their child. There's nothing worse than uh, whenever you're disciplining your child, and you're just like, go sit in your room by yourself. Think about what you've done. Like, <laughs> that is just a... That's just an appetite. That's like a whole recipe for shame and guilt. What God does is he's like, hey, you messed up. Guess what? I'm going to sit with you in your badness. Yes, you need to think about it. You need to process it. You need to repent. We're going to sit together in this and see when we're broken and we're hurting, God doesn't leave us alone in that. He comes to sit with us in that place. So let's read a little bit more in the passage because we've got some more ground to cover here. Starting in verse 25, we'll just read just a, a few verses. So Jesus hears them, he hears them out, he lets them talk, and then he says this to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things about himself. So Jesus is talking to this man, he's like, hey, tell me what's going on. What's, what are you guys talking about? So they, he lets them talk. He lets them vent. He lets them just go. They're like, look, this is what happened. We thought this was going to happen. Now we're lost, and I don't know what to do. But you know, Jesus, he kind of takes them to, like, to Sunday school for a minute. He's like, did you, did you not believe the things that were said about me? Did you, were you so slow to believe? And you know what he does? 
It says this, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them all the things about himself. So Jesus lets them talk. He lets them be honest about how they feel. But where does he go back to? He goes back to his word. I've heard so many people, and I have friends, and I, man, I've probably said it myself. So many people that's just like, I just need to hear God's voice in this situation, and I'm just not hearing it. Let me ask you a real question, and this is not to, to make you feel bad or to make you feel guilty, but if you're in that place, are you in his word? Because if you want to hear God speak, this is where you will hear it. This is where you will hear it. If you want to hear God speak about things in your life, he is going to go back to his word because you know what? If you hear his voice, and maybe some of you say, like, I have heard the voice of God and I know what he sounds like and he talks to me. Guess what? Whatever he says isn't going to go against this. You're going to find what he says in this. So I would say this. Jesus in this story is like a friend who's talking them off. He's like talking his friend off the ledge. He's like, really, did you not believe it? Like, it's right here in my word. This is where the answers are. If you are in that season this morning, I have to say, yes, continue to pray and ask God to speak, but be in his word because that's where you're going to hear his voice. That's where you're going to hear his voice. Jesus is like, it's almost like in this story, I imagine two people driving and one person is so worked up about something and they're just like, I can't believe they did this and they said this. And all the while, the right turn that you need to take is coming up. And Jesus is in the passenger. He's saying, hey, right turn. And they're just kind of talking. He's like, right turn. They're talking. They're not paying attention. You ever been that, that way before? So worked up where one of your friends has to kind of talk you off the ledge. That's what I imagine happening in this story. So see, what Jesus says seems to have landed with them. And here's why. Let's just continue reading for a bit. Verse 28. It says, So then they drew near to the village to which they were going. But Jesus acted as if he were going further. I love that about Jesus. Like he does these little Jesus-y things where he's like, Nah, guys, I'm going to keep going. You guys just go ahead. But they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us. For it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went with them to stay. When he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the, strip, the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. Then they were told what had happened on the road. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. So remember, this, this story is not just a historical account. It is that, but at the same time, it's our story. Say that with me. The Bible is our story. That's what the Bible is. It's our story. Now listen, Jesus has talked him off the ledge. Now he's gone in and he's done this really weird, mysterious thing. He's talked to him, and it's like they've, everything is settled. Now, I want you to think about this, too. Time is, is really important in this story. They're walking seven miles. We can read this story in a matter of two minutes and have a general understanding. But no one in here walks seven miles in two minutes. None of us walk seven miles in two minutes. There's time here. They've had time to walk and time to think. And it seems like what Jesus says really hit home because they're like, did not our hearts burn? Man, he like opened his word for us. And we didn't see it. But we see this really kind of weird thing where Jesus breaks the bread, he blesses it, and when they eat it, their eyes are opened. You see, I don't think this story is meant to confuse us. I think what it's meaning to show us is these men now have a new perspective. They have a brand new perspective on what happened. And that new perspective is what I'll call new orientation this morning. 
Now, new orientation is what happens when you're surprised by a new gift from God, or maybe it's a new perspective or a new understanding. Anybody ever been uh, in a situation to where after some time has passed, you look back and you say, man, that season that I was so bitter and angry and upset and had zero answers for, now I get it. I see it now. It's clear. I couldn't see it then. The smoke wasn't clear, but now after a few months, the smoke is cleared, and I get it. That's where this men, these men are. We kind of have this front row seat of them becoming aware of who Jesus really is, that he really is the Messiah and the risen Lord. You see, with new orientation, we get this, this opportunity to really see Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. It means God with us. We get this opportunity to see that through that season of pain, through that season of upset, through that season of uncertainty, there was Emmanuel. He was with us. He was God with us. Now, the hard thing is this. When we talk about these frameworks, so orientation, disorientation, new orientation, the really hard truth of this all is for us to get to new orientation, we have to go through some disorientation at times. It's not fun, but it's necessary. You see, because disorientation, it unravels our attachment to our illusion of control. When you and I don't have disorientation, there comes a point where we think, ah, God's got it, but like things are rocking and rolling in my life. I'm good. And we kind of have this idea sometimes that we're in control. But when we go through this disorientation, it takes that away from us. It realizes there's really nothing we're in control of. And yet through new orientation, we have this new vision to see, no, what God has desired for us just looks different than what I thought. Does this make sense to you guys this morning? Do you feel like this is kind of relevant to where you may be or have been in the past. I hope that these, uh, these phrases, these movements would help you see that, hey, in times there are these, there's this framework in this movement that we go through that can really help us get a better understanding of God and what he's doing in our life. So come together, this series, this whole series about unity, how does this even play into where we are as a church? Or how should it play into where we are as a church? I have three takeaways, like a good preacher does three takeaways on a Sunday too many more would probably confuse you and you would stop taking notes so three is a good number and the first one is this in times of orientation in times of disorientation that we must fix our eyes on Jesus there is no other way there is no other way we have to fix our eyes on Jesus so I don't know about you whenever these things happen in my life I wish I could say that was always my first reaction, right? Like, just never failed, just Jesus, what do you want? Unfortunately, turn your Bibles real quick to Luke chapter 8, verse 22. This is maybe more how I feel at times. Luke chapter 8, we'll start in verse 22, we'll just read a few verses. It says, one day he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, Jesus, that is. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And when they went and they woke him, they said, Master, Master, we're going to die. And he woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands, and even the wind and the waters obey him? You see, I want to be like the person that's just like fixing my eyes on Jesus 
in every situation, but more times than I care to admit, I'm the disciples in Luke 8. I'm like, Lord, like, do you see what's happening? Do you see me? <laughs> and then I come here on Sundays and I lead songs like, you hold it all together. And, you know, I look really good. And it's like, he's doing it right. No, some, sometimes I really struggle. Let me be honest with you and just say that from here. Like, so you hear me. I, no one that stands on this stage is perfect. And everyone that stands here wrestles with that. And I know whenever you hear that, you're like, yep, that's probably me too. Like, when we can't find the strength to hold it all together, we have to choose to fix our eyes on Jesus. Whatever season you're in, whatever season you're going into, you have to learn and you have to hold on to the fact that he truly does hold it all together. And remind yourself that, you know, we serve a God who isn't moved by the storms of your life. Did you know that? Let me say it like this. God is concerned about you and he does love you. He is not concerned about the storms you're going through. That does not shake him. He's concerned about you, but he is not shaken up by the storms that you go through. He is in control, and he's holding it together. Now, this next point is this, and I I so strongly believe in this and could probably preach a whole sermon on this. I'm going to have to really refrain from doing that, but we must resist isolation and embrace unity. If we're going to talk about unity and how to do that, then we have to really embrace it. And let me tell you this, it doesn't always come natural for us. You know, in Luke 24, like I said before, verse 33, it says this. Let me find it. And, though, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. This is after he breaks the bread and their eyes are open. They returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. You see, after Jesus was crucified, you have to understand, people did, like Peter went fishing, and there were some people that eventually they went and did their things, but you know where they were before that, when all the chaos was happening, when they were afraid? They were together. They were embracing unity. You see, when we're together, we're stronger. Like, I don't have to explain this with a bunch of points. You know that. When people are together, they are stronger, and you can see that. When you're alone, you're vulnerable. First Peter uh, describes our enemy as this. He's a roaring lion. He's, he's walking around looking for who to devour. Who do you think he's going to devour first? The one that's in a group of people that seem to be pretty strong, they're like tied together, or those that are by themselves in isolation? You see, this is a message that we have to hear. We have to hear it with fresh ears today, because I'll be honest, the last two years we've been told that we need to not be together. And I get it, for, for certain reasons, that's, that's what had a place in time, but for the church, we have to understand this, that for the church to be the church again, it's time for people to get together. I'm not saying we don't need to be smart about things, and this isn't some kind of like sideways thing to get into polit- politics, but it's saying this, some of you, your default is isolation. And I love you too much to tell you it's not. It's isolation, and it's not good for you. It's not good for you. We have to be together. We have to be in community because you know what? That verse in First Peter also says that we should resist him. So how do we resist him? We do that. One of the easiest ways is to constantly be around people that are like-minded believers or maybe people who are just a little ahead of you in certain things. So you can have that support. So you know what? Whenever it looks like this, whenever you're in disorientation, and you don't really know that that's what it is because you didn't have that language until today, but now you're looking, you're like, oh, I was in disorientation. The real temptation there is this. You just need to go take some time apart. 
Just go, go by yourself for a little bit. Go think about things. Go process. These are all words that are good and fine, but they have a point where it's not helpful anymore. But the enemy wants to convince us that, you know what, you're, you're so jaded right now, you need time away. Go take some time away. Let me tell you this from personal experience. That is the worst thing you could do in that season. When you are in a season of uncertainty and not sure how things are going to work out, you need to press into community, not pull away. Nothing good will come from you pulling away from community. When you're in a season of that, you have to press in, not pull away. So we have to resist isolation and embrace unity. And yes, it's messy and it's uncomfortable. And you're like, I don't know that person. I don't really want to talk to them. They don't know me. And I just want to stay home. You know what? It's hard. Community is hard, but it's necessary. And we see this model with the disciples. And that's how they stayed. That's how they were strong. They stayed together. So Ruth Haley Barton has this great quote that, I I found a lot of value in. She says, Our ability to discern what we should do flows out of our commitment to be together in life-transforming ways. So church, hear me say this. As a church, when things, again, maybe not feel like what they felt before, you're not sure what to do or where we're going or what's going to happen, we need some discernment on some things. You know how we're going to do that? We're going to be together. We're going to stay together because for us to be able to discern what we need to do flows out of our commitment to be together. So resist isolation, embrace unity. And the last thing is this. We must remember God has a purpose even if it doesn't fit our plan. You see, God's not caught off guard like we are. <laughs> He's not. And when unexpected ha- things happen in our life, I always say it like this. I say, we're just finding out about the things that God knew all along. We're just finding out about the things that God already knew was going to happen or wasn't going to happen. You see, Romans 8.28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And the thing about Jesus is this, that he knew his purpose. It doesn't seem like he, necess- it seemed like he knew the plan. It didn't seem like he really wanted the plan, but he knew the plan. He knew, but he knew his purpose. So I want to read this for you just a little further down in the chapter, starting in verse 44. So 24, starting in verse 44. It says this, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That all and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. See, Jesus knew his purpose. He knew the purpose was for people to repent from their sins and for him to forgive them in his name. That was the purpose. And guess what? The purpose is still the same purpose today. It's still the same. The mission has not changed. The mission for us as, as followers of Jesus is to share the good news. How are we going to do that? We're going to share it when we're together. We're going to go out together and share it to a hurting and broken world. That's the mission. And our mission specifically here at this church, this local expression, is this, that we would do good and bring good news into the world. The mission is to glorify God and bring good into the world. That mission's not changed. It's not going to change. You know why? Because it's, it's part of the, the greater mission. It's not going to change. 
So when we find ourselves in uncertain times, we have to process it. We have to be honest with God about things. We have to say, I'm so confused right now. Lord, I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm not going to go by myself. I'm going to stay with other people. And I'm going to remember that you have a purpose. Even though it doesn't look like my plan, you have a purpose. That's the plan. That's what we have to do as people. And I think for us, a good question for you to ask maybe today is just this. Where am I in these movements? Maybe you're like, hey, I'm still in orientation. Things are good. I don't really see any kind of disorientation. That's great. This is for you to keep, tuck it away, and hold on for another time. And remember this when those times of uncertainty come, because they will come. For some of you, you need to remember, man, I need to talk. I don't need to go inward. I need to have a friend or trusted friends. I need to talk. I need to be honest with people. I need to be honest with God. God, I haven't been honest with you. I'm hurting. That's what some of you need to do. And then others that are, you've come out of that season of uncertainty and you have this new perspective, you need to thank God. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for providing. Thank you for showing me that. You see, and the, the amazing thing about us being honest with God, is I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 4, says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. See, God understands your pain. He cares about it. He does. He loves you enough to let you be honest, to share openly, and then he loves you enough to speak truth into your life. He does. So church, today, I want to just take a moment. We're going to take communion, and this is one of, those, one of these messages that hits a little bit harder at times. I think communion is a great response for us to say, okay, I'm going to take this message and implement it. I'm, I'm coming into agreement with this message and under the blood and body of Jesus and saying, like, yes, I'm in agreement with this. So, but before we do that, one thing I want us to do is I, I just want us to pause for a moment and kind of ask the Lord, hey, show me where I am. Like he's, he's able to do that. Did you know that? He's able to show you where you are in these movements and to help you see, see that through the end, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe there's something that needs to be confessed this morning. Maybe there's just something that you just need to say, God, thank you for being so faithful in this season. But before we take communion, I just want to give us just a, a few minutes to pray and process that, and then we'll take communion. That's the plan. So let's pray for just a moment. Father, we love you. So grateful for our church and what you're doing, the people that are here today to hear this. Lord, I pray for hearts to be opened and for maybe new ideas to take root that could really help us understand your heart for us and your purpose in our lives and how you're accomplishing that. Lord, I have to be honest with you. There are times that there have been seasons I've been in where I've doubted your goodness and I've doubted your faithfulness, and yet you've been faithful through it all. And so if there's someone in the room this morning that's questioning, Lord, I, I pray that you would just flood them with your love this morning flood them with, with your grace to show them that you are there with them in their life, that nothing they've done goes unseen, that nothing they've experienced goes unseen, no pain, no hurt goes wasted, Lord, that you've seen it all. And Lord, my prayer for us specifically as Dublin Bible Church is that we would be a church that models authentic community and togetherness 
and that we would model great faith moving forward, Lord. God, you are our shepherd. You are the one leading us, and we need you today. And we thank you for being so good to us and being so kind when many times we don't deserve it, Lord. So, Lord, as we take the bread and the juice, Lord, I pray that you would do what you did in the story, that you would open our eyes, that you'd give us a new perspective this morning. God, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.